the 22nd chapter today. We're going to read a few verses there. It is in the context of the resurrection that a question was posed to Jesus. And from there, we're going to transition into the epistles, the epistle of 1 Corinthians and also in 2 Peter for a few verses of Scripture. And I'll try to weave together a common thought here in the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And if you would, we'll stand in honor of the reading of Scripture. And if you cannot stand for this reading, I understand totally. Then you remain seated, or if you need to be seated through the process, you feel at liberty to do so. But here is, uh, we'll, and I'll expound this and explain this a little bit more accurately in a few moments. But I want to read this from right off the pages of my Bible. It says here, Then the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife, raise up seed unto his brother. That was required under the law. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, having no issue or no child, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second, the third, unto the seventh, and last of all, the woman died also. There in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. It's easy to see. They're trying to catch Jesus in his words. But notice his response, because I love the context of Jesus' response. Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err, I've shared from this passage on more than one occasion, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll continue in this vein of thought. But I'm going to focus on a little something different. It's in the context, but it might not be what your attention is first given to. Here in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, it's one of the most... Uh, famous of all passages of scriptures as relating to resurrection. Now the entirety of the chapter, 57 I believe, verses, 58 verses of scripture is a great discourse of the Apostle Paul contending for the uh, fact of an actual physical resurrection. Not just a spiritual resurrection, not some type of mythological resurrection, but an actual physical resurrection. That's what we believe in, amen? That's what we believe. And so here in the 15th chapter, the first verse, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory, it's important that you keep in memory, the things that we preach unto you. Hmm. Come on now. Paul said, you need to keep in memory these things that I've been preaching to you because Paul was preaching the scriptures, the truth of God. And he said, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, here's Paul reflecting upon what he had shared with the Corinthians. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures 
and that he was buried, and that he arose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, I don't think we have on the screen, but I'm going to go a little bit further real quickly. And now he talks about those that have actually visibly seen Jesus in his resurrected form. He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. He was seen about 500 brethren at one time, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. In essence, he's saying it did not happen in a corner. Jesus was not just mystically appear to just one or two people, but at least 500 people simultaneously saw him in his resurrected form. And he said, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and notice this, he says, and last of all, he was seen of me also, you may remember, on the Damascus road when he appeared to the apostle Paul, he said, as a man born out of due time. Now let's conclude in the epistle of Second Peter, and we're going to do our best to weave together a couple of common thoughts. Second Peter, we'll read verses 16 through 19 of the first chapter for a moment because I just think that um, I just think that I should. A matter of fact, I might even add a couple of additional ones. For he said in the 16th verse, first chapter, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. This is the Apostle Peter speaking or writing. When we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but notice this, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, for we received from God the glory, he received from God the honor and the glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. It's the, the mount where he was changed, the mount of transfiguration. They heard this voice from heaven on the holy mount, 18th verse. But notice this 19th verse, it transitions, we're almost finished. We have a more sure word of prophecy, Peter concludes or contends, whereunto you would do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Now notice this. He said that first, no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. If it's truly scriptural, uh, if it is true prophecy, it did not just uh, uh, come up in a man's thoughts and minds. It's born of the Holy Spirit. It's what Paul is contending here in this passage of scripture. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We believe God speaks to us, don't you? Amen. Now let's transition to the second chapter, two verses there, and then we'll, get, we'll conclude in the third chapter, and that will conclude our scripture reading. I know it's a little bit lengthy today. There were also, now notice this, but there were false prophets also among the people. Even Now here's a warning. There shall be false teachers... There shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And notice this, unfortunate, Peter says, many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And let me give you a little clarification to that. By that way of truth, they will actually... Uh, speak evil of the, what which is actually right. Now let's go a little further and conclude in this third chapter just at the 16th through the 18th verse and that will conclude our scripture reading here very quickly. And as also now he's reflecting about the Apostle Paul's epistles. He said, Paul writes in his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable, they rest, and I'll expound that in a few moments, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, seeing, this is us now, God speaking to us through this epistle, seeing you know these things before, 
Beware lest you also, here's a warning from the aged apostle, warning us that we, if we're not careful, we can be led away with the error of the wicked and we can fall from our own steadfastness. And that's a dangerous place to be. And the will of God for us is what? To grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For to him be glory both now and forever. And all the church family said, Amen. And what a powerful passage and passages of Scripture, beginning in Matthew to Corinthians to 2 Peter. And we want to weave together a common thought that the Lord has laid on my heart. And I prayed diligently about this service. Who would not, as a pastor, privileged to speak to so many on this great day? But the message in the context that I would like to speak to you is this. I want to define Jesus today according to the Scriptures. Defining Jesus according to the Scriptures. And let's pray. Father, we love you. We are truly honored to have read the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for our faithful church family who have come today to hear the preaching of the Word. Thank you that their friends and family have come alongside of them. And it's, God, in this room we have glorified you, glorified your Son through song. And now, God, we sit with bated breath in anticipation of a word from God that you, Father, speak to us through men. The Apostle has taught us that if any man is to speak, he should speak as the oracles of God. And I pray that prayer this morning. That God, you would somehow, some way, in your sovereign power, make my ability to communicate effectual today, and let the people's heart, who's already being prepared, God receive this word gladly. It's in Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. And you can be seated. This is not in the notes, but I do not like to swallow on mic so that you'll know just very quickly. The subject of the resurrection is brought up by the Sadducees. I would like to revert back to our original text of Scripture. The Sadducees is a unique group of ruling uh, leadership in the days of Jesus. They were assigned the responsibility of maintaining the temple. Many of the temple priests themselves were Sadducees. I believe they were the smaller of the two ruling classes, the Pharisees, to which we know a more greater familiarity because the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee prior to his conversion. And the Sadducees, though... Uh, with a strong belief in the law, had rejected the oral traditions that the Pharisees held to themselves, but had a profession of a belief in the Torah, the Word of God, the Old Testament, first five books of the Scriptures. And they come to Jesus. Now remember, they are very... uh, they are very influential. They're both political and they're religious. And they are sometimes the mediator between the affairs of the state and the Roman government. Often they're responsible for the collection of taxes. But also because of their responsibility of keeping the temple, they are given platforms to teach and to preach and to educate thus and so on. And so here they're frustrated as well as the Pharisees of this roving rabbi Jesus who's come to town, not this day, but just a few days earlier with great ceremony. As he's come into the city of Jerusalem, the common follower has just laid palm branches in front of him. They're singing Hosanna to the son of David, which is the Messianic hymn, and there is confusion amongst the people. Some believe him to be the Messiah coming to actually un- 
unseat Roman occupation and restore the great vitality of ancient Israel. Others are unsure of who he is, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees see that he could create a great potential for certainly confusion between Israel and Rome, but also if he is truly not the Messiah, then so many people are going to be dejected. And so they come to try to catch Jesus in his words, and that was so common to them because if they couldn't accuse him in any other thing that he did, if they could just catch him saying something. So they posed to him this little uh, parable. Jesus is one noted that teaching parables, and now they're putting a parable in front of him. The parable is concerning the resurrection, and we read it, and so I'll not go over it very quickly. But it's because the reason why they're opposing this parable is because to catch Jesus in his words, they wanted to hear him say something that they could contend was not harmonious to the law of Moses. And so they said concerning the resurrection. And all the way until that last woman herself died after having been married to seven different men and having no heir and ultimately whose wife would she be in the resurrection have if her being married seven times because the belief of the Sadducees differing from the belief of the Pharisees the Pharisees did believe in a resurrection though some say it was a spiritual resurrection and not a physical resurrection the Sadducees just did not believe in any resurrection at all they just believed that when when you're when you were gone you were gone it was just over and done there was no afterlife there was no heaven to gain and no hell to shun and so in essence they're trying to catch Jesus and I love Jesus' rebuttal because he just really just hits them right in the mouth because they are the trained religious leaders. They have access to the Torah unlike anybody else. And he says to them, you are in error. You are erring because you don't know the scriptures. What do you mean they don't know the scriptures? They read the scriptures. They've been taught the scriptures. They've been going to school all the day since they were just young men because it's possible to be be learned in the scriptures and still not know the truth. Come on now. And so I love Jesus' response because he actually speaks first as the oracles of God as he teaches a little bit about the resurrection, simply saying we won't be like we are in the natural realm, marrying, giving in marriage, but we'll be like the angels that are in heaven. And then he reverts back to the law and he says, have you never read? Didn't you read it? When it was unscrolled in front of you? Haven't you been in the synagogue or the temple when somebody unscrolled and read from when God spoke to Moses from the burning bush? and said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God. Come on, somebody. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had long since perished, but God was prophetically declaring another day, another moment when God would take their dust from the ground from which they had been, had been taken and he would resurrect them. And so God was already prophetically, he didn't even see them as dead. He saw them as, are y'all hearing what I'm saying, living. And they really, they couldn't handle that type of, doctrine and so the thing that I want to talk to you about a little bit is that it seems to me that this error is repeated over and over again both learned and unlearned men and women attempt to develop and promote doctrine in the context of God Jesus, salvation, Christianity, the afterlife, on and on, etc., etc., but they do so apart from an accurate interpretation and an accurate application of the scriptures. See, you know what? We live in a very perilous time. The apostle warned us in the last days, dangerous times would come. 
perilous times would emerge in the last days before the return of Jesus Christ. And we see constant threats to Christianity both in America and around the world. But let me make a statement to you today that is my personal belief that the greatest threat to Christianity in America today is not Islam, surprising to some. It's certainly not communism with its ebb and flow up and down uh, since again, but it's not, and it's not another competing religion whatsoever. It's not Buddhism or any type of, of, of Eastern religion, but the greatest threat, in my personal belief, to Christianity in America today is a redefining of who Jesus is and what he came to do apart from an accurate interpretation of the scriptures. It's in our culture we see men and women taking the knowledge of Jesus but not according to the scriptures out of its proper context of the scriptures and redefining him to satisfy their own lust and personal theologies. And I believe that's of a great risk. Thus, in my personal opinion, the error of the Sadducees is repeated over and over and over again, both by unlearned and learned people. Because you are in error. You stumble about in false doctrine if you talk about, point to, reference a Jesus that you have taken out of the context of what the Scriptures have revealed Him to be. Let me clarify a little bit concerning this and take you to a, a degree a little bit deeper. Did you know really the only first century record, the first century record that we have of the life and teachings of Jesus is the New Testament? It's the New Testament. And there, there was a little bit. Josephus, the ancient historian, wrote a little measure concerning Jesus. And there were some additional heretical books that were rejected by the early church fathers because of their inconsistencies and their conflicting doctrines. And so for you and I, if you say, Pastor, would you show me, like the one disciple said, we would see Jesus. Pastor, would you really show me Jesus? Let me tell you, if you're going to know Jesus Christ, you've got to know him first through the prophecies of the scriptures. That's where it begins. Then you've got to know him through the record of the gospels. And you've got to also look back at the writings of the apostles in the epistles. And so all of which, from the prophecies of the antiquity, or the, 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 the ancient scriptures, to the gospels and to the epistles, all must harmonize and correlate, not conflict and contradict. Okay, let's go a little bit further. So the first revelation that you and I have of Jesus is made in the scriptures. Now when I say scriptures, there's often a different response or, or in our mind or understanding in our mind. To the first century Jew that is either hearing Jesus' reference or reading the epistles later or certainly in the gospels, all the references in the, in the gospels and the epistles, when you see the reference to the scriptures, they're actually referring to what you you and I would say is the Old Testament. They're referring back to the, to, the, to the books of the law and the Psalms and the prophets, that which you and I have familiarized ourselves with calling them the Old Testament. The actual word in Greek is graph, and it means a document or holy writ. And so this Jewish community that Jesus dwelt and ministered in the midst of, they believed the scriptures to be in three parts. First, the law of Moses, then the Psalms, which included other poetic books and then the prophets. That's the point of reference when it talks about have you never read in the scriptures. And let me just take you a little bit further into this. See, God had first formed a covenant with a man by the name of Abram. 
that he would bless him and make of him a great nation. You and I are familiar with him as Abraham. And so God had formed this covenant with him. But God did so by an oath. God just simply spoke to him. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness sake. And the mark of their faith was circumcision. But later, hundreds of years later, when God reappeared to Israel, to Moses on Mount Sinai, God is now presenting the law, the Mosaic covenant, distinct from the Abrahamic covenant, but given because of the Abrahamic covenant. And this time he wouldn't give it by an oath. He would give it by a confirmed word. He would first write by the finger of God upon tablets of stone. You and I know it as the Ten Commandments. He would present it to ancient Israel and then an audible voice in the midst of the whole multitude heard on that blazing mountain that fateful day the very word of God confirmed in their ears so that they would know that the oracles of God the spoken word of God was consistent with the writings of God upon the tablet of stone and it would confirm that tablet as being authentic. It would not just be in the imaginations of a singular man a crazed prophet up on up on a mountain saying he's heard from God but he came down from the mountain with stones in his hand that had been inscribed upon by the finger of God. The people could look at it and read it and then an audible voice from heaven confirmed the words that were written on... Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Confirmed the word that was written on the stone and thus God was giving to man a covenant that he was writing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And thus that's the first usage of Scripture. That's a good word right there. Let me go a little further. It says Exodus 34. God said, so then write these words for after the tenor of these words, I've made a covenant with thee and with Israel. So God wrote the Ten Commandments. Moses then wrote the law. That became the first of the three segments of what was being referred to. Are y'all hearing me? I think we're going somewhere, but you got to stay with me. And so the Holy Writ originated on Mount Sinai, the giving of the law, but it would extend to other writings prophetical unctions like the psalmist David out in the field keeping sheep when the Spirit of God, come on somebody, would just come over him and he would begin to sing and as he would begin to sing, he would begin to write it down in prophetical predictions of things that had not yet happened, even looking all the way hundreds of years down the timeline to the coming of the Messiah, prophetic inspirations and revelations given first in the form of a poetic song or a prophecy that has been captured on parchment or captured on letters uh, leather scrolls and that becomes the scripture and you and I are privileged and so when you read in the gospels and the epistles when Jesus said this according to the scriptures or when you read that it says it is written or have you not read that's what we read in Matthew 22 he said have you not read then that references to the law the Psalms and the prophets and even the apostle Paul concluded when he said this all scripture is given by inspiration of God it's God breathed this life. It's truly scripture. Then it's given by God. It didn't originate in the carnal mind of a man, but it originated in the, in the heart and the mind of God. God released his thoughts and allowed men to capture them and put them down on paper. And it's called holy writ or scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable. Come on, somebody. It is profitable for correction and instruction and righteousness so that we can live in this life according to the will of God. Amen. So thank God for his word today. 
I don't know about you, but I believe that this to be the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Come on. I'll stand alone upon the Word of God. I know that religious institutions can come and go. Governments can come and go. But there's one thing that will never change, and that is the Word of Almighty God. And you and I have been giving it to us, and we are so thankful for it this great day. Now, much of Jesus' ministry, this is my observation, perhaps it's not yours, but much of Jesus' ministry is conflicting and correcting many of his generation for their misunderstanding of the Scriptures. He just, I know it, I know it frustrated him at times because he's like, it's right there, right here. Why can't you see this? If you go back, think with me for just a moment. Think with me for just a moment. This is, in the, in your, this is things that Jesus said in the Gospels. He would say things like, have you not read? What saith the law? Come on, in this conversation. Do you not remember what David said? Don't you remember? Well said Isaiah the prophet concerning you. Well said Jeremiah the prophet concerning you. Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So shall the Son of Man be or three days and three nights in the fish's belly. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He said, well, the queen of Sheba, she got in a chariot and came hundreds of miles to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But behold, a greater than Solomon is here. This day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. On and on, Jesus taking the scriptures and clarifying doctrine by rightly dividing the Word of God. You've got to rightly divide the Word of God. See, the Word of God can be destructive to people and even to your own life if you don't rightly divide it and rightly apply it. Come on, that's why we've got to hear from God. We've got to know that we're interpreting the Scripture the way that God wants us to. And Jesus, I think, summarized in John 5, the 39th verse. I love this Scripture. I've prayed or spoken it to you many times. But he kind of just summarized it widely. He said, search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they from the Genesis unto Malachi. Come on, somebody. They are they from the writings of Moses to the Psalms of David. Come on, unto the history of the kings. They are they which testify of me. There's a revelation of Jesus Christ in all 39 books of the Old Testament. God was painting a picture so that anybody could see so that whenever they went to the temple or whenever they went to the synagogue, God would be preparing them for the fateful day when Messiah would come and when he would come because they had a knowledge of the scripture they would say this is he that was spoken are y'all hearing what I'm saying this is he that the prophet spoken long years ago he was born of a virgin he lived a sinless life he died on the cross of Calvary he was the atoning blood he was the blood to put on the mercy seat so that you and I could have access to God search the scriptures Jesus said for in them you think you have life and they're nothing more than testifying about me hallelujah I love the way the writer of Hebrews said, he said, in the volume of the book. Now, only after the Holy Spirit was given could he recognize that. But he said, in the volume of the book, in the entirety of the book, it is written concerning Jesus that he would come to do the will of God. Come on, that is good preaching right there on this Easter Sunday morning. But let me tell you what Jesus did. He was so gracious that he would do his very best to set people aside, those men that walked with him and deeply committed their lives to follow him. And he could, he could see their struggle. So he would try to talk to them. We're going to show you a couple that's important for you to see this morning. I think it will help you to kind of just see it because sometimes you find yourself in that gray area. And I think that gray area is okay as long as you're being drawn into the light. Come on, somebody. 
Just don't stay there in blissful ignorance. Let's go a little bit further. Luke 18, Jesus said this. This is soon before the days of his travail at Jerusalem. It says, Then he took the twelve, and he said to them... Now notice these words. Y'all read this with me real quickly. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written by... The, what, notice this. All things that were written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished, right? For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, shall be mocked, spitefully entreated, and spitted upon, and they shall scourge him, put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. Now you and I look at that and we're like, "Mm mm-hmm, yes, yes, he's warning, showing them. But they look and their response is much like your response at times to my sermons. And they understood none of what he was saying. I don't understand a thing that old hillbilly preacher is preaching to me. I don't get it. They understood none of these things because it was hidden from them. See, you have to have a revelation that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, that's why the world can look at what we look at and cannot see what you and I can see. Because God has shared these things with us. Now, I want to take you back on a familiar story that's, pre, or that's repeated oftentimes on Easter Sunday, but it's, I'm hastening towards a, a brief conclusion. But let me, let, me, let me get you there quickly, though. It's called the Emmaus Road. But think about this. Prior to going to the cross, Jesus has sat down with his disciples and said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'll be betrayed. I'll be beaten. I'll, I'll be scourged. They'll put me in a tomb. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And they're just like... I, I, I don't understand. And so then when it happens, and then the resurrection takes place, and Mary Magdalene comes back from the sepulcher with the word that he says, an angel appeared to him and said, he's risen, and he goes and she goes and shares this with them, and they still don't know. And so they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus when Jesus, withholding his countenance from them, just looking like a common traveler, kind of comes up behind them. So picture in your mind two men walking, their countenance, King James English, has fallen them because they're discouraged because that all the things that have happened and they're confused. Jesus kind of just comes up behind them and is like, what are you guys talking about? Why is your face so disfigured? And they said, well, who are you, a stranger? Do you not know these things concerning Jesus of Nazareth? And then he's like, Jesus who? Who is this? And we said, well, you know, he was a man of great miracles and prophetical unctions and we supposed that it was he. See, they had a mindset of the scriptures that proved to not be accurate. We supposed it was he that would deliver Israel. And when he did not deliver Israel, or in their perception he had not delivered Israel, because he had actually not only delivered Israel, he had delivered all men everywhere bound by sin. Glory to God. And so, real quickly, pause for a second. And so with that, as Jesus begins to converse with them, there is a reproof that he makes with them because he says, notice this, and I'm going to switch to this handheld because I'm losing my voice on this Easter Sunday morning. He said, oh fools and slow of heart to believe. Uh, How many of you would like to hear Jesus kind of speak so directly to you when you're like, oh, he's always so kind to me. Yeah, he's 
He's very correcting is what he is. He's kind in his correction. He said, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered and then to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses. Look at that. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto him in all the scriptures the things that were concerning himself. And then later when they reflected upon it, when Jesus had actually left them, remember he had broke, if you don't know the story, they went down after he shared with the scriptures about the prophecies of Christ. He said, down on a table and they asked him to pray he lifted up his eyes gave God thanks broke bread and when he broke bread their eyes were opened and then they could know him and then as they were looking one at the other two disciples said they said this they said did not our heart burn within us when he opened to us the scriptures you say Pastor Brown how can I know if the scriptures are being rightly divided in our midst does it burn in your heart is there a consciousness of the Holy Ghost is there a quickening of the spirit deep down inside of you is it always just pacifying you and making you feel good about yourself and your sinful condition or is it pointing you towards a cross is it pointing you towards the blood is it directing you to fellowship with God if it does then that's the word of God burning deep down in your spirit and you're hearing it preached this very day and so later when Jesus did appear to his disciples he then 44th verse stay with me for just a moment he said, these are the words that I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that in all things, all things that have been written must be fulfilled, which were written where? Remember the threefold breakdown of the scriptures, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. So he opened, notice this, this is what needs to happen in America today. We're sending men and women into our uh, educational institutions and they're coming away ignorant of the word of God. They're coming away ignorant of who God really is and they're redefining Jesus according to the, their own perceptions and theologies and lust uh, rather than who the word of God paints him to be. And so we need Jesus to open our understanding that we might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, thus it is written, it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that what would be preached as a result of his coming that we would preach repentance and remission of sin to every man, woman, boy and girl that's ever been born of a woman let me tell you today the great gift that God has given you and I is that we can repent of our sin and we can turn to God with all of our heart we can be washed in his shed blood made new and welcomed into the eternal family of almighty God then we'll sing with Shane on Sunday mornings behold I come to Mount Zion the city of the living God an innumerable host of angels and to the church of the firstborn and the general assembly whose names are written down in heaven then I can celebrate because I am a child of God changed by the power of the resurrected Savior glory to God hallelujah but for whatever reason we live in a difficult day the hearts and minds of men in our generation are blinded, it seems, to the understanding of Scripture. Many never seek Christ and ask Him to open their understanding. It's my observation, and I'm going to hasten through some of this. It's my observation that when the apostles began to preach, their doctrine that they preached after the coming of the Holy Spirit was that they would take the Scriptures of the Old Covenant, and because the Holy Spirit has revealed them, things now concerning Christ they would say look in the scripture on the day of Pentecost remember what the apostle Peter quoted most of you are only familiar with that he quoted from Joel the coming of the spirit nobody quoted from David when David said concerning the Messiah that God would not leave his soul in hell 
nor allow the Holy One to see corruption. But he was speaking of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because Peter had now had a revelation of it. And so that's why the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, when I came to you, he said, what I preached to you, I preached according to the Scriptures. And that's why the Apostle Peter said, you and I, he said, we, to you and I, he said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables, but we were eyewitnesses of his. And we talked with him, and we were there. And then he opened to us the Scriptures. We could see him in person, but now we can see him in the Word of God. See, I was not there that fateful day when Mary Magdalene came from the sepulcher, her face white as a ghost, for she said, I have seen an angel, and he has told me that the Lord is resurrected. The Bible says that Peter and John rose. They wanted to see that John outran Peter, and he stopped at the door of the sepulcher, afraid to go in. But Peter, boisterous Peter, went in, and he saw the grave clothes there on one side and a napkin folded up on the other, and they wondered in themselves, I was not there on that fateful day, but they were, they were there in Galilee when he drove darkness from the room by the brilliance of his resurrection glory. And he said, I am he. Touch me and see. A spirit is not flesh and bone as you see that I have. I was not there. I was not there. But when I read in the scriptures... When I read in the scriptures, my God, it burns deep down in my spirit. I wasn't there when Thomas, also called Didymus, reached his finger and put it in the scar of his hand and reached his hand in his side. But I remember the words of Jesus to Thomas when he said, Thomas, he said, because you have seen, you have believed. But blessed are those in Heber Springs, on the fifth day of April, 2015, though they have not seen, yet they believe. Yet they believe. Why do we believe? Because the scriptures have testified that Jesus is the Christ. Hallelujah. So I want to conclude with you today for a moment of time. And I want to share this by reverting back to really the context on this Resurrection Sunday. Because there's something deep in my spirit that I'm trying to convey to you. And that is we live in a very dangerous day of destructive doctrines that can come to us from all kinds of places. Distorting the word of God. I sat down for a moment of time even having recorded this particular movie that had come out recently called Killing Jesus. And so I thought, well, that'll be a great way to follow the trail once again. But about seven to ten minutes inside of the movie, I was like, that's not scriptural. That's not scriptural. That's not scriptural. Turn it off and erase that thing from my DVR. Because when you know the truth, come on somebody, then it's easy to recognize error. But when you don't know the truth, then you're easily deceived. And that's where many of the, our, our, our fellow countrymen are in America today if you know the revelation that's why Peter said we have a more sure word of prophecy that you do well that you take heed you do well you're privileged to hear a word today coming to you from the scriptures that's been rightly divided as the revelation of the Holy Spirit has led this day so Peter as he wrote and I want you to hear this in my conclusion today second Peter chapter 2 let's rehearse this in conclusion for there will be false prophets among the people, 
even as there shall be false teachers, not just coming to you, but among you. Our minds have been deceived, many of which. He said there'll be false teachers among you who will privately bring in damnable heresies. Notice this, even denying the Lord that brought them. I don't want to deny him today. I want to submit myself to who he is and what he accomplished through the cross of Calvary. He said, then Peter with the warning says, and they bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow the pernicious ways. Notice this, by reason of whom. This is what's happening in our culture today. I've been warning you for several weeks and months, and I want to echo it again this morning. By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Listen, if you, if you hold to a, 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 an interpretation, a historical interpretation of the scriptures, then you're going to be mocked and ridiculed in the generation in which we live today. Another translation said, the true way shall be maligned and defamed. In our American culture today, we have false prophets and false teachers among us. Damnable heresies that deny the Lord. In essence, going back to the title of my message, redefining Jesus. Redefining him according to the dictates of their own conscience and not to the word of God. If you and I had read the entirety of the second chapter of the book of Second uh, Peter and also the third chapter, in, in summary, Peter would say this, they walk after their flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Their eyes are full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin. They beguile unstable souls while they promise them liberty, but they themselves are the servants of corruption. Notice this. He said they are unlearned and unstable. And then he said this, and it was in the 16th verse of the third chapter. They rest or they twist the scriptures. 2 Peter 3 verse 16 in the Amplified reads it this way as we're concluding. And I invite Daryl on the platform with me, please, today. He said, the ignorant and the unstable will twist and misconstrue to their own destruction just as they distort and misinterpret the rest of the scriptures. So this culture that we live in today is redefining Jesus, Dr. Brassfield, according to their own lust rather than defining Jesus according to the scriptures. And so for you and I, if we're not careful, the apostle warns us, we can fall prey to that seductive, deceptive spirit until you and I cannot distinguish the truth from the error. The only way that you're going to be able to distinguish the truth, roll to the 18th verse now, is to grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to be able to define Jesus according to the word of God, who he is, what he came to accomplish, the role that he plays in our lives. Let me tell you today, Jesus Christ is a mediator between God and man. He's an intercessor. He intercedes for you and I. What a shame that we go home and we have Bibles that go unopened passages of scripture long forgotten in our minds because we are not renewing them in the word of God and thus the newscasts and our secular universities and many of our distorted uh, religious seminaries and even perverted doctrines within even the local church 
is preaching a Jesus that you don't find in the Word of God. So therefore, church family, it is a dangerous day, even on this, the Resurrection Sunday, because we're repeating the very error that Jesus reproved the Sadducees for, because you don't even know the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Let me tell you today, the power of God revealed to us through Jesus Christ can change anybody and everybody. And I believe that that resurrection gives us great hope in two things. First of all, it gives us, if we come to Christ in all sincerity and we repent of our sins, it gives us the great promise of eternal life. Only through Jesus Christ. I read some posts that somebody posted some days gone by that, that they said they had studied all the religions and they found a little bit of truth in all of them. Well, if you find a little bit of truth in all of them, then what in the case, then that's the case, then what you're saying is, is that Jesus is in error because he's either all the truth or he's none of the truth. Come on now. And so let me say this today for just a moment of time is that Jesus said that if you will come to me, I will in no wise cast you out. If you'll come to him truly broken humbled recognizing that we are we, we, we live we were born in sin and nothing could take that sin away from us and so God sent Jesus to die on the cross so a payment would be made a ransom we could be purchased and all we have to do is believe and trust in him with all of our heart and commit ourselves to him then we'll be saved come on somebody then thank God for that eternal life that God gives us, and we live every day with the peace that if at any moment, if at any moment we were to pass into eternity, we have the hope of a great resurrection because he was the first fruits of the resurrection. That's a great hope. I can't, we all feel differently about it. I've noticed this as a pastor. The older you get, the more you appreciate it. Come on now. When you're young, we're just trying to live life and raise children and have a good job and get a little bit older. You're like, you know what? I don't really care about all that. Come on. I just, I thank God that there's an eternal city. Come on, somebody. God's prepared for me a place. Come on. I'm looking forward to that, to hear his voice enter into the joys of the Lord. It's a great peace that God gives us. If you don't know Christ today, you don't have that peace. If you don't know Christ, according to the scriptures, you could be living in deception. See, if you think you can earn that gift, then see, you've already been deceived. You can't earn that gift. You just trust that God would give it to you as you believe. All we were like sheep, we had gone astray, but he laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. He concluded us all as sinners so that he could grant forgiveness to us all. But I believe that that resurrection also gives us the second great thing that God wants us to enjoy this morning. And that is, it gives us the hope that as long as God is involved, it's not over till God says it's over. Come on, somebody. Come on. They wept in sorrow when that tomb was sealed that day. But three days later, he arose triumphant over the grave. So that tells us, that God can change us and our situation can change and it can change quickly because of the power of his resurrection. And if it starts with that first one, if you have eternal life, you have hope, that hope develops into a faith that says, God, I know that if you're involved, 
you can make you can bring me through this situation I'm in right now. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning on this the Easter Sunday morning. I've probably gone a little bit of overtime today.